0: Welcome back to another episode of All My Relations. We're so happy that you've joined us today, and we just want to start by telling you that we love you, and we're grateful for you, and thank you so much for joining us on this podcasting journey. I think you're in for a real treat today. Today, something uh, really special is happening, and Adrian is going to tell you why. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Uh, no i i 'm like so excited to share this
1: conversation just because this was the very first episode that we recorded together. You can tell when you 're listening to it how excited we are about this project and just like joyful and uh full of this anticipation to be able to talk with our really good friends um, Jessica Metcalf and Jamie Akuma about their work in the world of Native fashion. So I love listening to it because we've become friends only through this world of Native representations. Like it's not uh, separate from the work that we do, our friendship. So I love that you can hear that long-standing relationship that we have just through the excitement in our voices and the like laughter and the the way we use shorthand for a lot of things and kind of assume that everyone knows what we're talking about. <laughs> but I think it's a beautiful episode and it's fun to just hear that joy in our voices as native women to get to sit and talk together about something we care about, which is native fashion.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, I think maybe not often do we get to hear the these sort of intimate conversations and the giggle and the love and and like you said the shorthand expressions, but also you know, just sort of the, the way that we would naturally discuss these topics with one another. And so I think that in that way, you get this sort of fluid conversation that feels um, like you're sitting in your auntie's kitchen with your, with your cousins <laughs> and getting the opportunity to just sort of like giggle and, and reminisce. And, and that to me is why this is so special. I love that we're getting to come together with, with women that we admire and love and respect and, and have a lot of fun with fashion is
1: often relegated to this realm of being like elitist or inaccessible or expensive um but for native folks like Jessica talks about this in her work a lot that our ancestors were stylish she always says like we thought and think a lot about the ways that we represent our communities through the clothing that we wear. To me, this Native fashion movement is just an extension of that, of being able to represent who you are and where you come from and do it in a really cool and of the moment way, while also honoring your ancestors and your community And to me, like really showcasing that kind of intertribal communication and trade, like that I as a Cherokee person can wear Navajo uh, earrings that were made by a Navajo designer or uh, right now I'm wrapping some um, Coast Salish ones by uh, artists in Canada. So being able to like bring all of that together and show how our communities relate with one another too, I think is really exciting. The cool thing about our conversation around Native fashion is, like, there's this spectrum and range of, like, traditional clothing, powwow regalia, and then sort of streetwear, like, your everyday, like, clothes that you wear that... Our t-shirts or whatever, and then couture fashion, which is like the high fashion, the handmade stuff, and the ways that Native design crosses all of those places. And so for me, like earrings are a way that kind of brings together a lot of that. I have earrings that are more... And I hate even using the language of you know like traditional versus modern, and I think that's what a lot of the designers are trying to challenge is being like it's all one. I really like the ways that it starts conversations with people. they ask me about them, and then I'm able to talk about which designer it is, where they come from, what community they come from, why it's particular to that style
0: of community. That's really important to me as well I love that you bring up the conversation about modern versus traditional it also brings up the conversation about authentic and inauthentic and one of the ways that I think about that being d- problematic and difficult in our communities is like my, my aunties are all weavers they weave from s- cedar and some people would will criticize them and say well that's not traditional because you used writ dye mm-hmm. and our ancestors didn't use writ dye our ancestors would have used Berries to dye this cedar, and um, my my auntie Judy would say, will say something like, "Well, you think if our ancestors were here right now, they wouldn't use red dye?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's... Like, you know, and you know, I I. I've often heard people say to me that my work, because I'm a photographer, uh, is not traditional work, you know, because I'm using modern technology. And I've actually, when I, ta- when I get, had a show in the Czech Republic, uh, the the curator said that I was not... You know, when she introduced me, one of the things that she said was that I was not a traditional artist because I wasn't practicing in a traditional form, but that I was a modern indigenous artist. And what a what a treat that was! And and I was sort of like really taken back in that moment that that was the way that she chose to introduce me because I I don't think that being traditional or being authentic has anything to do with uh, the materials that we use. I, I think it also has to do with like our our frame of mind and our reference and the way that we do the work, like with a good mind and a good heart, with a prayer. And, and I think that our ancestors were the same way. And I think that that is what is that tradition in that way is what's carried on. And that's a really beautiful thing. But I, I, I think um, I was watching that ugly, delicious, Which is one of my favorite shows on Netflix. I love David Chang. He's my favorite. And Mama Fuku is like definitely one of my favorite restaurants. But I was watching his episode on pizza last night. (laughs) And he was talking about how he hates the word authenticity when we discuss food. Because of course, when we say that, we're, we're like sort of, We're denying our own history that we innovate and evolve and migrate and intermarry and there's this sort of like transculturalism that happens in our communities and that has to be okay. You know, we have to accept that our communities in order to be alive and thriving are changing. And that is what's happening in this native fashion industry. And it's happening rapidly. And we're seeing it for the first time on social media as it's happening in the moment. And that is so cool to me. Yeah. The idea that there is some like historic
1: past where we as Native people were authentic and pure and traditional and now everything is just moving away from that is like a total construction by settler colonialism and white supremacy designed to keep us in that historic past and not allow us to be present and modern and therefore challenge their right to exist. To me, it's by doing this work of remixing and retooling and taking tools from Other communities to create art that is from our communities is something that is really powerful from a perspective of doing decolonial work. It's not just that, like, it's cool and we're allowed to, it's that we always have and will continue to. Like, Native folks have always innovated, have always like used tools and materials and things as they've come into our communities and those then become part of who we are. Can you imagine um, any of the Plains communities? Like beadwork is so huge in our communities and beads were, you know, something that came from contact. So I think that the work that's happening in Native fashion is really about Creating this present and future that is also what we have always done, representing ourselves through the materials and tools and relationships that we have available to us.
0: Sorry. <laughs> Congratulations, ladies we're super happy to have you for our native fashion episode we have dr jessica metcalf Hi, oh, hello <laughs> <laughs> and miss jamie akuma Hi. (laughs) Uh, So today
1: we're going to be talking native fashion which is something that uh, all of us are really excited about and interested in and both of you bring such incredible expertise. So for our audience we're going to introduce you read some bios and then ask you to introduce yourselves. Our first guest here is uh, here in the studio with us is Dr. Jessica Metcalf. Uh, She is Turtle Mountain Chippewa from the lands that are currently known as North Dakota. Uh, She's leading a national movement to buy authentic Native American made fashion. Jessica is the owner and creator of the Beyond Buckskin Boutique, which is an online and now also brick and mortar fashion boutique featuring work from Native designers from all over the U.S. and Canada. She also holds a PhD in American Indian Studies from the University of Arizona, so we can call her Dr. J. (laughs) She's also a dynamo on the dance floor, the woman you want behind your fashion show or fashion (laughs) event, a brilliant scholar, friend, and role model. And if you need to know someone in the Native fashion world, chances are Jessica is on first name basis with them. (laughs) Welcome, Dr. Metcalf. Oh, I thank
2: you, Dr. Keith.
0: (laughs) Whatever, call me Doctor
2: Two. Doctor Matika, Doctor, <laughs> Doctor T
0: Doctor Love. Ooh, ooh, ooh! <laughs> you guys are on this tip. <laughs> talking about fashion or talking about love? <laughs> One and the same, Doctor J. One and the same. <laughs> uh, we also have uh, Jamie Okuma with us today. From the World Wide Web, Skyping in. So thank you, Jamie, for being here with us.
3: Thanks for having me, ladies.
0: <laughs> Jamie is Luceno and Shoshone Bannock, as in as fashion designer. She creates brilliant, intricate, creative works of beadwork with the tiniest beads you've ever seen, while also simultaneously creating gorgeous couture fashion gowns and bags, as well as ready-to-wear fashion. She has won at least five best-in-show ribbons from both Santa Fe Indian Market and the Herd Market, but let's just say she's never satisfied. The next year, it's always more brilliant. She's an artist who refuses to find her niche and stick to it. She's constantly evolving and trying new things and pushing the envelope. Let's just say one of the things that I love about Jamie is that she constantly collaborates with other artists, and she is so willing to be helpful and loving to so many people around her, and we have mad respect for you for that, Jamie. So welcome again to our show. (laughs) Hello, and thank you again for humbling words. Thank you so much. So if you guys would just take a moment to introduce yourself uh, the way you would to a large group of people. Uh,
2: usually I just kind of say, hello, you know, (laughs) testing the mic. Hello. Uh, my name is Jessica Metcalf. I am Turtle Mountain Chippewa from North Dakota. Um, I keep it pretty basic like that. I am the owner of Beyond Buckskin, which is a business and website dedicated to promoting and selling Native American made fashion. Um, this has been a journey for me that started back in 2000, uh, 12, Before that, two thousand nine. Before that, two (laughs) thousand five. It's been a journey of many, yeah, many, many points. So, um, this has been an amazing journey, and I'm so blessed to be here with with these amazing, powerful women. So, I'm excited to talk about native fashion. Go
0: ahead, Jamie. Tell us a little about yourself.
3: Oh, my name is Jamie Okuma. I am Lisenio Shoni Bannock, among some others. Um, I live here, uh, where we're at right now, in the La Jolla. Indian Reservation in Southern California, and I am an artist, fashion designer, Um,
2: that's about it. (laughs) <laughs> Great on.
1: The name of our podcast is All My Relations. We wanted to choose that because we're really interested in the ways that we relate to one another, the ways that we have relationships with the land, with our ancestors, with the work that we do. So just this idea of being relational people as Native folks and the idea of the relationships that we hold and the responsibilities that come with them. So we're going to be asking all of our guests on the podcast um, just how this idea of All My my relations resonates with them, or the ways that they think about relationships in their own life, um, and the work that they do. So um, if, Jamie, I don't know if you wanted to start just uh, thinking about these ideas of relationships, being relational people, and how that translates into your work, or your life. Oh, um, everything. I
3: mean, from our families our communities that we live in, its it all is encompassing, I think, within my work. You may not see that, but when uh, for myself, when I look back at pieces, I can think of who I was talking with that day or certain significant things that happened along the way. It's such an important part of Indian country. Anywhere you go, I think, between here and Canada, I mean, you better you will know someone who knows someone that you know. And that's it's such a relational type of um, relationship. And it's a really, really cool thing to think about when you go to conferences or shows or anything. You're going to know someone who knows someone. If not, you're going to know them. Mm -hmm. So
0: that's kind of what it made me think about.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Jamie, the idea of... And just knowing that in Indian country, there's always maybe at most two degrees of separation (laughs) (laughs) you know like in maybe you know in in the larger community there's like six degrees of separation but in Indian country you just have to be careful who you snag because it could be your cousin you know like or your friend's
3: cousin (laughs) somewhere yeah if you're if you claim to be something you better know about it they will will hold you to that oh who's your family
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, and also, like, I think it's really great to acknowledge that our our identities are inherently connected to our relationships, <laughs> and so our relationship with land, our relationship with water, our relationship with our grandmothers, and that uh, that relationship hasn't been severed. Part of what makes being indigenous to Turtle Island so prolific and different than than anything uh, than in, An identity of a a colonizer (laughs) is. You know, that we're, our relationships have been rooted deeply rooted in this land Mm -hmm. and it's it's fundamental to who we are and so I would you like to touch on that subject Jessica
2: oh oh did you see me in deep thought I was (laughs) like yeah girl um no so when I made the decision to launch uh Beyond Buckskin I was actually based out of Phoenix um uh teaching at Arizona State University right in Tempe and I was surrounded by millions of people literally surrounded by all these humans and all these people and all these bodies, but I never felt so alone in all of my life. And I had to move back home and I had to do this. Um, this business is, is fashion in the main, you know, mainstream industry. It's, it's, um, It's not something that's rural, considered rural. It's not something that's considered a little bit, you know, city, flashy, whatever, uh, trendy. But I needed to go back home to remember why I was doing this business. It was to provide as many opportunities to Native people as possible. And I needed my own Native community to back it and support it, or else it would be worth nothing. Um, Whenever I did move back home and we, we opened the business, we would have people walk in, and the first thing they would say who are you? Where are you from? Who's your family? You know, it's some version of those three questions, um, depending on when, uh, when I would see them. But so, so that's the way that we, we, figure out how we're going to talk to each other, how, we're, how this relationship's going to go. Um, who's your family? Where are you from? So it's like, oh, you know, my last name's Metcalf, which is not a very popular name back home, but my dad's last name is Persian. And then they're like, oh, okay, all right. And then just right then, then they know who you are, what family you come from. And that is how this relationship's going to move forward from here mm. in a good way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
1: thinking about, you both are very immersed in this Native fashion world, and the conversations that we have in Native fashion, um, I feel like both of you are kind of at the forefront of the ways that we talk about what fashion means. So for folks who aren't familiar with the Native fashion scene, um, do you think maybe one or both of you could talk a little bit about how you see defining native fashion? Um, Because you've both talked brilliantly in the past about like the ties to quote unquote, traditional clothing, or Jessica often says our ancestors were stylish, um, (laughs) and the ways that we clothe ourselves and how that's kind of evolved to this moment that we are in native fashion. Well,
3: I wanted to get into the fashion uh, world as a whole. When I was younger, I would think about I didn't want to be the you know, native fashion designer. I wanted to be a fashion designer and kind of just be mainstream and be with everybody else. But I think getting older and maturing with my thoughts, I love the idea that I'm, I, yes, I'm a native fashion designer. Mm-hmm. I love that because y- you can see native designs every season, whether it's New York, Paris, Milan, you're going to see native design not done by a native. So I think we have, it's amazing, we can do that, and it's it's authentic, it's real, and nobody else can do it as well as we can. So, I mean, I just, I love what I'm doing, and that people resonate with it, and not just Native people. I love, every, I want to share my culture with people who appreciate it, because they do, that's why they're doing it. Um, but now, you can have it from someone who knows where that came from. Or understands it. And so I just, I'm very, very grateful that um, I have an audience beyond the Native audience. And it's, I, I just, I'm so
1: lucky that I get to do this every day. Thank you. And to contextualize Jessica's uh, thoughts before she launches into them, um, Jessica wrote her dissertation on Native fashion um, and traced the history of Native fashion and uh, interviewed a ton of different designers for that project. And that's kind of the origins of Beyond Buckskin is through that work. So um, Jessica has this like very... Large kind of contextual view of the of the scene as well.
0: Personal note about that. <laughs> the first time I saw I met uh, Dr. Jay was you were giving a talk at the Heard Museum and I had never heard of Native fashion and somebody that got it studied that. <laughs> I was like, what? That can happen? That's a thing. It was like, whew, like my mind was blown. And then she stood up there. And and like this beautiful dress with like these dangly earrings with her red (laughs) lips and her hair and the whole thing and like blew my mind. So I just want to acknowledge that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're so sweet. Thank you. Um, So, yes, I wrote my dissertation on Native fashion. And whenever I meet people and tell them that, you know, I work with Native fashion designers, the first thing that they, you know, they kind of like whoa there's native american fashion and um and then you know i am offered the opportunity to say yes you know we've we've had native american fashion as a a movement since the 1940s and 50s at least um that's when we had lloyd keyvenu who was a cherokee fashion designer actually like label himself as a fashion designer that's when it's really really kicked off and the movement has been going in waves since then since the 40s and 50s which is so cool there was amazing stuff going on in the 70s and the 90s. And now, right now, we are at this amazing moment where new designers are constantly popping up and just creating Drop dead gorgeous things that we have to have because we've never had this opportunity to express ourselves in this way in our lifetimes, and um, this is the first time in about a hundred years that Native American made fashion is accessible, and it's because of the internet and it's because of our our mobility that we have. Um, we're living in a truly amazing time, and I love this this field that I'm in because it's endlessly exciting and. And um, creative, like, oh, my God, I get to work with artists every day.
0: Jessica, when you were doing your dissertation and uh-huh. you were doing this sort of work, what was, like, what's something that just really stands out to you about Native fashion that you would like other people to be sure that they know?
2: Well, first of all, something that really stood out to me, <laughs> this is probably not the answer you're looking oh. for, but was uh, the reaction to people um when when I said that I'm I'm writing about Native Native American fashion for my dissertation uh, research, um, I think the majority of people don't see it as a legitimate field, and that's that's what I have a problem with. Um, no, we've had uh, our men and our women. Uh, decorating our, our bodies since the beginning of time. This has always been there for us. This is one of our most basic human activities is to decorate the body. And so that is something that I want people to know. We all engage in fashion. Even even if we think that we don't, oh, oh, I don't do fashion. I just put on clothes. Ah, you pick those pants. <laughs> You're making, <laughs> pick You're making choices. Yeah. You pick that shirt, sir. Um, you know, it, it is... It's is <laughs> passion <laughs> and so that's that's what I want people to know
1: clearly I'm someone who writes and thinks about cultural appropriation all the time and Jamie you even brought it up um, in your uh, answer a little bit earlier about how every fashion season we see native designs on the runway but they aren't made by native people and so uh, there's two parts of that so first of all I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts and responses to kind of where we are in the cultural appropriation conversation and then also what the role of that is in our conversations around native fashion. Like it often feels like we aren't allowed to talk about native fashion without talking about cultural appropriation. So first part is just how you see this kind of cultural appropriation conversation role in these days and the ways that it intersects with what you do. So, yeah, it, um,
3: it, it's a double edged sword. It really is because there are, I, I'm more to where they're going to do it. You can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can make people aware of it. I don't get so upset as I used to, unless it's blatant. I think I put is post maybe about a month ago. I mean, outright, it's like a copyright situation yeah. where it's, it's theft, like down to the colors. And So, but I think that's a different, that's a different issue. As far as appropriation, I, it's irritating, but I don't, it's really hard because I have so many people now asking, can they wear it? Mm -hmm. Can they buy from me? Whereas I didn't have that before. And of course you can. Otherwise, I wouldn't be selling it. Right. <laughs> um, so, uh, we, you know, we have to pick our battles, I think, really, really carefully. Do we want to go there with someone who's doing some, you know, some ridiculous? That's, but then there is, where's that line? How do you choose that? Mm-hmm. And I, it's all a personal preference, I think. But we, I think we do, as a whole, have to be very careful and I think we also need to change our language when we um, call someone out about it in a more educational understanding. And understanding that those people that are doing that, they don't know. They really don't. And attacking that person is not going to have them listen to you. They're not going to hear it. I You have... I. I'm changing the way or at least I try to. Um, when I get those questions, those awkward, weird questions, rather than getting mad about it. You just still live in teepees. You know, it's no more WTFs. It's no. There's an easier way to educate people, I think. And I if we all do that, I think it'll get a little bit uh, easier and we'll see less of it if we're willing and people are willing to um, listen and if we educate in a nicer way, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Uh, It's definitely like the frustration builds up from all of the times we've seen this and it's, oh my God, it's the 12th one I've seen this week. Um, But yeah, it's definitely, these conversations are never easy for anyone involved. I think they're... Uh, They're very difficult. And I did want to ask you, because you have this talent for being able to find (laughs) the source material. So, uh, like, uh, maybe we can actually tell the story of the Christy uh, Belcourt-Valentino collaboration gone wrong. But... um, Jamie, you were able to find the actual moccasins that they had ripped off. And you have sent me pictures before, like ones from museum collections. And so uh, just curious about how do you have just the catalog of these pieces in your head? Are you able, (laughs) like, do you go out and look for them? Like, how does that work?
3: Yeah, it's really weird when it comes to design, especially within our world. Um, Native art world—it's almost as a like I have a photographic memory of mm. things, and because I love it, I mean I've been immersed with this since I was a little little kid, and I really—if I see something—and and it can be like those pictures that I sent you, Adrian. They were like really tiny, you know, just—and
1: yeah. it was like they were, oh were my thumbnails seen, from a museum website.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there are little photographs on Instagram of a little tiny bag, and I'm like, I know that design. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's in one of my books. <laughs> I'm going to find it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, when it comes to design, I really do. It's it's. It's all there.
1: Well, and I think that's... that's They better watch out. Yeah. Well, I I think that's what most non-natives don't understand is that when we're talking about cultural appropriation, these designs come from somewhere. Like those moccasins belong to someone. They were beaded by someone. They belong to a community, a family, a person. And that gets erased when it just ends up, you know, on the mass produced thing. And when you have that memory to be able to go back and find the original one, it shows the power of that, like that these are things that belong to people and it's not just right. as Jessica calls it the free bin
2: exactly yes um, <laughs> I've called it the free bin because uh, for some reason, with, with our cultural stuff, uh, people think that it, is, it isn't owned by anybody. It wasn't mm-hmm. made by any specific person. It's not owned by a specific family. It doesn't come from a specific tribe. It's just in the free bin for anybody to use and reach into and say, oh, I would love to you, ha- you have these beaded moccasins in my collection, and let's mass produce them. And I think this is coming out of the huge sweep in the 1800s of just mass Collecting our cultural stuff and just taking it from our people and from our communities during the huge assimilation push. So now we have all of our stuff, you know, a lot of our stuff in museum collections um, erased from the artist, erased from the family. Sometimes it has a uh, tribal affiliation on it. And if we're talking about provenance, it's only... The you know the white people who collected it is the provenance. Mm-hmm. It, it was collected by this white man who gave it to this other white man who gave it to this white woman maybe, um, and that's the provenance. But no, it's not. It's not. It's it's our it's our stuff. You know we can we have this huge. Um, rupture of when this stuff was taken away so we're trying to remember what designs come from what families or what communities or what tribes and we're trying to reclaim that stuff and it it makes it so hard whenever you have these large uh, brands that are confusing it more and making it worse even for our youth our our, you know native youth that are are taking cues from pop culture of who they are Mm -hmm. as a native american person or of somebody of mixed descent you know what does it mean to be native and that's why we we really need to reconnect with with the youth and 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 our stuff and say hey you know this this is this is valuable this is ours this isn't meant to be reprodu- mass reproduced by people who have no connection to native people will not be giving back to native communities mm-hmm. um, will be profiting off of this stuff and will be furthering their own careers
0: yeah, I think like that, that the conversation around misappropriation and cultural appropriation that really resonates with me as an artist is uh, the idea of taking something that belongs to us, profiting off of it, and then not giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. A good example of this company is Pendleton. <laughs> I'm take, just going to say take. it. You know, I mean, for years, you've had a woolen wool, mills company that is taking Native designs and... Not accrediting any artists, and then sending cease and desists to be artists when they actually use your work in actual native designs, and then very like you 're not involved in the community at all. Pendleton so <laughs> they, they
2: were actually found guilty or in violation of the Indian Arts and Crafts Act they are they're found in violation of that act and that act is a truth in advertising act meant to protect Native American artists from these other vulture uh, culture vulture companies that want to uh, confuse consumers into thinking that they're buying authentic Native American made goods and so the fact that they were found in violation of that act is powerful and and a lot of people don't know that. Nope, they did it a was, good job
1: of hiding. It that was they, settled
2: out of court, mm-hmm. and um, after selling, you know, countless blankets, they ended up having to donate what fifty thousand dollars to a specific school in South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what they settled on, and I think that that's incorrect because Pendleton has made has. Built their little empire off of selling the native um, and confusing consumers into thinking that they actually um, work with Native American um, artists and communities and give back to a scale that they're that they 're not i 've had these conversations with the family, um, at Pendleton. And, um, they said that they would give me their document or show me their, share their documents of what they give back to native communities. And I'm, I'm waiting. Mm-hmm. It's been, when was I in Portland? Two years? Oh, that Three was years? Like forever ago okay. when we were well, there. Yeah. <laughs> a long we're, time. we're still waiting to see on what you give back.
0: Well, beyond that, if you could employ some native people too, that would be great. And I think <laughs> anything we are we give us scraps. We're—we're we're not. We we'll don't take, ask for much. We're we take gonna, some scraps actually, and probably yeah, put them start. into our designs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, give us some, some actual scraps. scraps.
2: <laughs> it doesn't. It really doesn't take much though to, to appease us it really does we we just want some respect and some honor and and adrian you've said this countless times there's no respect and honor in taking Mm -hmm.
0: and not giving back yeah i just and also to quote adrian misrepresentation (laughs) Uh (laughs) without representation Adrian the whole (laughs) podcast how does it go adrian okay tell us what you say which one (laughs) misrepresentation representation with how's it go
2: I don't know. Representation Rep-
0: without honor or no. respect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I say. I don't when, know. Like when you represent us without us, it's done to us.
1: Oh, oh, uh that's actually
0: <laughs> That's a phrase that I have borrowed
1: from um Australian indigenous folks and they say nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. So I say no representations of us without us. Mm-hmm. Um Bam. and uh yeah. Because I think that, I mean that, so Jessica, you were nodding fiercely when uh, Jamie said that it's a double-edged sword. Um, I don't know if you wanted to expand on that. Oh,
2: oh, yeah. I just, I'm like, yeah, Jamie. No, um, and I've talked to various designers about this um, behind the scenes, but um, anytime that there is an issue of appropriation or misappropriation in mainstream fashion, um, it actually helps native designers in the sense that this this there is a desire for consumers to access you know I don't know navajo patterns you know the the beadwork they there there is this we're having this time right now where consumers want that and so when something comes out where it's a misappropriation, then we say, hey, there's actual native designers, and then there's a boost in sales. So this is kind of like a foot in the door for us in the sense that we can see who is interested in um, these patterns or these colors or this style or what we stand for, and then we can access those consumers, those, um, those allies. Those yeah. can be our allies. So, um, I I mean, I've talked to designers who have said like, hey, that really sucked that that artist or that designer ripped us off, but you kind of boosted my sales a little bit. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, cool. That's good. Because then we're able to reach people. And it's about it's about access, accessing those markets. And so that's kind of where I see the double-edged sword too. Um, and maybe I'm just being, you know, rose-colored glasses and looking at the sunny side of things. But I, I have be turned into a little bit of an optimist these days in that I think that we, we can turn this around. We could turn this into something amazing. If you like, I can search the web. <laughs> 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 Matika turned on
1: Siri by accident with, with her crutch.
0: <laughs> with my... With my-
2: lady bits um but uh and and it comes down to just um lack of access from their side from the consumer side and also almost like a lack of education and um this ignorance because when we did the paul frank collaboration and, and i walked into their headquarters and saw just everybody looked the same except for there was one Asian lady but everybody else looked the same and I realized that I was the first Native American that they were ever meeting in their lives and it's just that we are the minorities of the minorities and so sometimes it's just they don't have a personal connection with us so we've just become this 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 stereotype and then when they meet you and see you and, oh, ho oh, you know, and touch <laughs> your hair. Just kidding. <laughs> You're real. So that's where the power is. The power is in those personal connections. And I think that um, we, we can reach that through, through the bad. We can barrel through the bad mm-hmm. to get to the good side. Mm-hmm.
0: The other day, this um, this non-Indian lady pulled me aside, and somebody I've known for a really long time, and she said, um, I bought this native beaded headband at a, at uh, Swinomish Days, mm-hmm. and I want to wear it. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody said that you'd be mad at me if I wore it. And I was like...
1: People say that to me all the time. Uh,
0: okay, so let's just clarify that conversation. <laughs> just, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll tell you what I said. I said... You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with you wearing something that's authentically Native-made. I think the problem is when Native people get cut out of of the say in their own work, and then somebody else profits, and then a non-Native wears it, and it's representing something that's very obviously tribal— mm-hmm. And it would be really great if you would, you know, if when you're wearing that, you just accredit the artist that it comes from, and that's beautiful. Of course, wear it. Buy all of Jamie's beadwork. Yes. <laughs> Go to Beyond Buttskin. Buy wear everything. It. <laughs> wear all of it, and yes. wear it proud, and wear it knowing where it comes from, mm-hmm. that it has an origin story, or- 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 that or- it has an an orgy story.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's your favorite bone? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: So, uh, I know we don't have all the time in the world with Jamie, and so Jamie... (laughs) i'm just gonna be the like thank you of of this podcast um i want to talk to you about your boots um and the shoes Mm -hmm. and the beading that you do so for the audience who isn't familiar jamie beads on leather boots on louboutin boots on high fashion expensive boots on beautiful shoes high heels um and does incredibly intricate gorgeous designs on them Mm -hmm. and um I would just love to hear kind of the story behind that, where that came from. And, uh, I also love watching your YouTube videos and Mm -hmm. Instagram videos of process. Mm -hmm. So, um, just a little bit about that as well.
3: Yeah. I started doing a lot of the videos and things because I had so many people commenting, how are they, how are they made? And Oh, those are glued on. I know how she does it. They're glued on. Like, (laughs) Oh no, <laughs> let me show you. I have been a clothes horse since forever. My mom is, she is in love with thrift stores. She doesn't know where the hell I came from. I'm like, Rodeo Drive, take me there. <laughs> like, she's like, oh my God. So, I mean, I've always been that way. One of my most favorite um, online luxury shopping sites, I was just scrolling, like, uh Drooling, I need that, I need that. And my mom happened to be over, and my husband, we were just sitting there talking. And I don't remember which one of them said, It was like, Well, why don't you, you know, what about beating a pair of shoes? And I was like, oh, You mean I can buy these if I do something <laughs> with them? That's a great idea. So it just out of a random conversation I thought yeah that's pretty cool because I've always adored my buddy Terry Greaves work on her beaded converse Mm -hmm. and I just I've always loved footwear um and so I thought wow I'm gonna see if I can if I can do something on something that I always loved if I can make this work and it really has and they've they have. I've described them as they're my self-portraits, my mm. love of pop culture, my love of luxury fashion, and then my love of my culture. It's all rolled into those shoes, and so I've been very fortunate. People resonate with them. They love them, and I just have the best time because not only do I get to um, indulge my addiction of luxury <laughs> shoes... But I also get to do what I love with them,
0: so it's just it's a perfect,
3: perfect uh, work for me.
0: Oh, and a lot of these boots end up in museums and they're displayed as fine art, which is amazing. And we've seen them at the Herd, at the Smithsonian, mm-hmm. and um, oh my god, so many places, so many places. And it's blurring the lines of what we see as art and fashion, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. You know, what are your thoughts as fashion is wearable art or pieces for museums specifically?
3: Yeah, I I love the fact that I think all but two pairs are in museums. And none of them have ever been worn. But yeah, I think, and I even had this, I don't know if it was a kind of a hang-up thinking, why are couture dresses hundreds of thousands of dollars. I never understood that. I mean, and I'm an artist. <laughs> Until you actually look at that, see how it's made. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing. It should be considered fine art. I mean, if you've ever looked, take a uh, uh, Chanel, they put out their videos, I think every season of their couture behind the scenes. And they you've got, you know, 20 or 30 ladies working on one dress. Beating it, hand beating it, hand sewing it—it's amazing, and, and I, it's just incredible. And there is such a difference in the shoes as well. I mean, you know, when I got my first pair of Louboutins, I thought I've never spent that kind of money on a pair of shoes. It's crazy! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But looking at them, actually having my hands on them, and you know, having uh, looking at what I've been wearing prior to that—it's mm-hmm. they are works of art. And I'm so thankful that museums and the general, uh, my audience can see that, see the difference, mm. that the, the shoes turn into sculptural fine art. And that's really, really
0: great. Mm-hmm. Ha- Jamie, just tell us, you just put out those sparkly red beaded boots this morning we all sell them on instagram (laughs) (laughs) tell tell the world how many hours you spent on those those are beautiful they're gorgeous Oh oh my god and like how many beads do you think are on those boots Two seconds. I'll be right back. Hold on. <laughs> uh, so while Jamie.
2: She's is maybe she's getting off. the boots. Is oh. she gonna
0: bring the oh. boots? Ooh, we're oh. gonna see the boots. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm just if hoping. she comes
2: back and is just like, oh, I just had to see the kids for a second. I I'm going <laughs> like, ah. oh, for another few days.
3: Then oh. they go off to their new home. Oh my,
1: oh my god. god. Oh my god. Oh, oh my god. Yes, Look at and I, I know the people who are listening to this are not going to be able to see them. So, Jamie, do you want to describe them for us? Yes, they are uh, Giuseppe Zanotti platform booties,
3: and they're completely hand beaded with thir- size 13s, which is small. And <laughs> one side, <laughs> one side says oakum and Matika's been there—the where you took our our family pictures and the other side says Wasik, and that's my clan mm. and so the whole idea behind these pair in the title is no place like home and Matika's has heard this before but, but holyokam is where my my people are from and that place still is in my family we that's our land and that's it means everything to me that we still have that and it's such a special place to me. And so that whole idea is wrapped up in these these booties. Oh Love it. It's gorgeous. And where, where are
0: they I- going to, Jamie?
3: They're going to the Crocker Art Museum
0: in uh, Sacramento. Mm. Oh, I'm going to have to make a special trip there. And then I'm going to have to be <laughs> like, I'm going to need to try
1: those on. <laughs> I'm their auntie. I'm just coming to visit them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. what do you hope for native fashion in this next stage next chapter like what would you love to see in the world of native fashion
3: oh more of it
1: more of it yeah more people yeah
3: yeah more people producing and manufacturing and really pushing it
2: on all levels, yeah. right? Like yeah, we, yeah the yeah. streetwear, the couture, the ready to wear, yes. everything yes. in between. Yeah. We need the, the the every aspect needs to get filled out.
3: Yeah, because I think with more I I've never we help each other out. The more of it, there's more visibility, I yeah, we need more.
2: I agree. Yes. Um, I would also love to see more collaborations. I would love to see, um, actually, I would love, 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 love um, a slot during New York Fashion Week that was all just straight-up Native American designers. Um, just give us one 20-minute slot. We'll show it. We'll blow your mind, you know, each each season. Yes,
3: not one of those sideshows, like the real deal. No,
2: no, yep. Mm. Not a sideshow. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on the fringes for too long. Oh, look at that look
0: at that pun right yeah. there. I would love... I, I have my own thoughts on this.
2: <laughs> Please, Matika. All right, go,
0: Matika. I would love to be able to walk into Nordstrom's, yes. to Rodeo Drive, and to every major department store, and, like, Target, and just find... Stuff made by Jamie Okuma mm-hmm. or a number of other Native designers. I, th- I would love to see it.
2: Oh, yeah. This is a call out. If there's any uh, business person out there who would like to work with Beyond Buckskin on uh, figuring out a way to chain it, I don't know how to turn it into a chain thing. Mm. Um, I would be more than happy to talk to somebody mm. Because I'm like, I don't know the business side. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question. Is
1: like, what would it take to make this happen? Like, what still needs to be in place for this to
2: happen? You need a lot of artists to work with, um, not just one. It needs to be a lot of them. It needs to be a constant uh, source or resource for new stuff, because that's just the fashion industry the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also needs to maintain that sense of connection, Mm-hmm. Um, it cannot just turn strictly mass-produced. It cannot because then it dilutes it, mm-hmm. it, ha- it. And this has happened in the past. We've seen it um, where commodification turns into like you know, poor Cocopelli. Like <laughs> poor <ain't>, cocopelli <laughs> Ain't nobody like Cocopelli anymore because he's <laughs> been over commodified. Poor fella. <laughs> poor. Fe- you know. Poor <laughs> That could be the name of the episode. <laughs> Poor Coca <Pally. laughs> So, uh, yes.
0: Could you tell us where the audience can find you and how to best connect with you and support your work?
2: Uh, So I run an amazing business uh, called Beyond Buckskin. You can find us online at beyondbuckskin.com or you can shop the boutique at shop.beyondbuckskin.com. We are on, I think, every social media platform. So uh, like us or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest, Snapchat, YouTube. Or come visit you in... Yes, we've got a physical retail store in the fashion mecca of Belcourt, North Dakota on the Turtle (laughs) Mountain Indian Reservation. Come on down. You can also get your hair cut at Scalp'Em, which is the barber next door. He's been open for 40 years. And
1: -um. (laughs) and Beyond Buckskin isn't necessarily in the GPS, but Scalp'Em is.
3: But yeah, so you can find
2: us. You'll
1: find (laughs) Yeah, and
3: same. Um, my website is jokuma.com, and I say I'm pretty much on. I think all the socials as well, either at jokuma or my
0: full name, Jamie
3: Okuma. And yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us. We were so happy to have you here, and I just, um, I just want to say again that I'm just super grateful for you and appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and be come and visit with us so tigre seed thank you thank you
3: You guys so much and thank you for all that each one of you ladies do it's amazing i mean i don't think i mean part of how my success has come is seriously because of what you guys are doing i mean your voices are so incredibly important and i thank you all so much for being you
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) thank you jamie (laughs) thanks jamie Thank you so, so much to Jessica and Jamie for joining us. That was really fun. And I'm so glad that we got to have that conversation. If you're interested in supporting Native designers or want to see some cool Native fashion shows, there is so much going on in the Native design world. If you want to follow me or Jessica or Jamie on uh, social media or any of the other folks mentioned in the episode, we definitely share out these events and encourage folks to go and be excited. So look out for that info. Matika and I were trying to make a list to share some of the designers that we're most excited about. It got too long. So we don't want to leave people out. We wanted to extend the opportunity to all of you if you're listening and you head over to the All My Relations Instagram and want to share in the comments who your favorite Native designers are and give their handles and their website. We can build this list together uh, to point people to the other amazing folks you can follow and buy from and support um, and share and show off the
0: amazing work they're doing. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I hope that listening to this episode today encourages you to buy Indigenous. There are so many incredible Native artists, designers, beautiful content creators, and they always need your support. So like, you know, like Jamie said, to take this to the next level, we need people to invest in the work. And so hopefully this inspires you to find your favorite beater or designer and go buy some of their work wrap it and give it as gifts to your friends
1: (laughs) huge widow and thank you to all of our patrons on patreon i can't even tell you how amazing that is to see how many of you are supporting us and this work and uh thank you to those of you who continue to support us in other ways as well, Widow. We wanted to give a shout out and thank you to Max Levin for the music on this episode. And we're so grateful for all of our friends who uh, keep letting us use their amazing music
0: on the show. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, share, subscribe. It really helps us out if you rate us on iTunes. And tune in for next week. We're going to be talking about native languages, indigenous languages, the resurgence the vibrancy, the struggles, and we look forward to sharing that story with you. Take great <laughs> All my relations.